enough spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. All right, please, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. This is what salvation is. We have been looking at that for some time. And again, we're not done with looking at it. There's something I want to speak about in that regard today, which is actually a continuation from what we said last time. And we describe the fact that salvation is redemption. That is, the two words are not the same, but we should remember that once you are saved, you have been redeemed. And what that means, don't feel proud, I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed. We look at it as freedom. No, it's not freedom. Salvation is freedom. Salvation is deliverance from bondage. Salvation is deliverance from poverty. Salvation is deliverance from sicknesses and diseases. Salvation is ultimately, of course, the most important part is deliverance from separation from God, eternal damnation. Salvation is deliverance from all of those things. But what is the method of salvation? Is redemption. Redemption means you were bought with a price. The person that bought you now does what? Owns you. Salvation is not just for freedom, it's for new ownership. Salvation is change of ownership. There was a time, the time you were in bondage, the time you were alienated from the common wealth of the people of God, the time that Satan had control over your life, whether you realize it or not, you were serving the purpose of Satan. Whether you realize it or not, you were doing the will of the world. You understand? You were not really in control. Somebody else was telling you what to do. If you have not read my book, Someone is controlling you. Please go and read the book. Someone is controlling you. It's available. You can just download it from our website. Just go to the book section. You'll find it there. Someone is controlling you. And in that book, what I tried to do was to ex- is to explain that you are not really in charge of your life as you are thinking. You are not the one that decided. You'll be surprised that you are going out today. You're not the one that decided that you will marry this person. Not the one that decided I will live in this country. Someone is controlling you. He said, are you trying to say I don't have any control over my life? No, I didn't say that. What I'm saying is that where you have control is not where you are thinking. For example, you have control concerning what you will pay attention to. You have control concerning what you will read. You have control concerning what you will believe. You have control concerning who you will associate with, generally speaking. You have control concerning what you will say is important to you and what is not important to you. You have control in that area. Once you have given your life to those things, they now begin to control you. I hope you're getting my point. For example, if you decide to follow Kim Kardashian on Instagram, it's a decision you made. You decided to follow another, maybe, um, give me another, uh, maybe another famous um, woman worldwide on Instagram. You decide to follow these people. Now, that's a decision you made. You can control that to an extent, okay? But once you have made that decision, Kim Kardashian will tell you what to wear, but you won't realize it. You will just say a particular dress. You will just say, I don't like it. You are not the one that's not liking it. Kim is the one not liking it. But you don't realize it. You think you are the one not liking it. Do you get my point? You listen to some people. You know, there's some guy, I think I saw his tweet somewhere. I think it was on Twitter that I saw it. And he said something very, very powerful. He said before, he said one day decided to stop following some people on Twitter. 
and I, no, on Instagram, yeah, it, Twitter, and it, around the time that um, one puppy guy was arrested, so the big deal was all over the place. That's when he was talking about it. He said he made up his mind they won't follow. Look, he will stop following you for what you wear, what you have to show off, the car you drive, which was all our, you know, that time this issue of hush puppy, hush this, hush bingo was going on. You understand? It was look. Uh, you know, I bought a car. But he said he said to stop following people like that. Those who show off their wealth, show off their private jets, show off their Bentleys, show off their cars and stuff like that. And they realized, okay, and he decided to start following, listen to this, he decided to start following people who are laboring. So he follows a shoemaker on Twitter, on Instagram. He follows a fashion designer or as I follows a, 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 cam, a mechanic. He follows a computer repair person. He follows a graphics designer. He started following people who are hustling, like we say, on a daily basis. He said, I realized all of a sudden, I began, I began to calm down. My life became easy. I could sleep better. I no longer had pressure. Because, now, I want to add my own words. Because I suddenly realized that the temptations I'm going through are being, uh, many people like me are going through them. People began to talk about, oh, please, I made this shoe, put it on your um, or your timeline for me, I'm selling it for 2005 I can deliver at a discount, you know, if you buy bulk, I can deliver across the country. He began to follow people who are doing things like that. People who own eateries, people who are cooking, who are baking, who are making cake, changing and stuff. He realized that life was actually easier than he was thinking. And of course, shortly after that, the main guy showing off his cars, they bundled him, put him in a, a prison in Chicago. And that's why he was talking about that. Listen, <laughs> this is how to make your life easier. Check who you follow. Read my book, Great Faith Can Be Yours. I explained something inside that book. That, listen, your faith is boosted by the kind of people you admire. It's very important. Your associations, your relationships, they matter. Those things matter. That's what you can control. When we're talking about, which was what I wrote in that book, someone is controlling you. That's exactly what I tried to explain in that book. So you find out that you can control Things like that. But then when you get up in the morning, what you do is not your control anymore. God has given us control in different parts of life. I'm trying to say something here. So each time you are serving somebody's agenda, that's what I'm saying. If you have chosen to serve the agenda of Satan, he will control you. The world controls people. It does. Ha. I don't want to get distracted. You know, last time I said something about um, uh, selling. We actually sell, listen, you can sell yourself into bondage. Even after Jesus has delivered you, you can resell yourself into another kind of bondage. If you were here on Friday, that was yesterday, during our Bible study, we were discussing some things here. And I said something, all right? I wanted to get people to understand something. Don't take this grace of God for a joke. It's not a line sense for everything, no matter how much God has saved you, if you decide to disobey him, you will suffer. I know some people who preach grace won't agree with me. But they say, better follow me. You will live long if you follow me. Don't follow those who are deceiving you. If you decide to disobey God, even though you are a Christian, you will suffer. There are things you will even do. I'm sorry to say it like this, but we have to help brethren. There are things you will even do. When you repent, you say, okay, I can forgive you, but I've made up my mind that this time around, I will let you go through the consequences. Why? So that you can just learn a lesson. 
It is not as if God cannot wipe out. Listen, I'm one of those people that believe that God can wipe out the past. I'm part of forgiveness. People say, well, once you have done, you must go. No, there's no must in it. But however, there's a way you behave with God. He will look at you and say, listen, this boy, you don't want to learn, Abby. This forgiveness, I, I like the fact that you love me and you want to work with me. But you, do, you like to always fall on this particular point. So, now that you have said sorry, you are sorry means I should handle it, right? You say yes. So this is how I'm going to handle it. The consequence for this will have lasted 40 years. But I'm going to make you go through it for the next five years. Why? So that you will not have to do it again. Because when I just said, don't worry about it, your flesh keeps coming back. So I will pin you down there. The day I say you can go, next time they tempt you, you will kill the tempter. Next time Satan comes, you will so attack him. It's a pity David died not too long afterwards. I mean, like, not as if that deal. But, yeah, he lived for some time. After Solomon was born, he became a teenager before his father died, at least. After that, eh, if all the women in Israel decide to be bathing in his city room, I don't know whether you're getting my point. Listen, after what he went through on the matter of Bathsheba, a matter in which God said, I have taken away your sin. What David went through, God did it deliberately. Say, David, this one, if it wasn't you, you know, they would have stoned the Israelite to death. You would have commanded the stoning. If it wasn't you, nobody in Israel would do this and get away with it. But let's take up your matter. He said, the sword will not depart from your house. David suffered. You know what they call suffering? David suffered. He suffered. He suffered. Oh, God. Sometimes when I think of the sufferings of David, fear, you know, I don't know whether you're getting my point. I'll be afraid for David. Meanwhile, this story is a few thousands of years old. You know that? Today, I'm still thinking, I'm still afraid for David. Why? The man suffered. Something that happened long ago, I'm still feeling sorry for the man. Because of that, his son raped his sister. Because of that, his son killed the brother. Because of that, his son drove him away from the throne and disgraced him before Israel. Slept with his concubines on the rooftop while everybody be watching and say, what is your God doing there? He's with his father's concubines. Like I was saying, Absalom did what he did according to the counsel they got to strengthen the hands of the rebels. So that you know with this one, there's no going back. David suffered extensively because God wanted him to know that don't do it again. God could have forgiven, but he said, don't do it again. Please, people of God, what grace does is to give us the ability to obey God, not to disregard his instructions. Let me say that to you again. Grace is the power that God gives you to obey him, not the excuse that gives you the impression you will get away with disobedience to him. Once God gives you instruction concerning something, don't disobey. Don't give any excuse that is pressure. Don't give any excuse that is pressure. Don't. 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 Please, I'm warning you, I'm not playing. Don't. Let's take Nigerian situation right now as an example. If you are working in an office and you are listening to me, don't ever accidentally, deliberately, connivingly, they pressured me, inflate contracts, change receipts, forge your age. Any of those things people do, don't. You have heard me today, you are in trouble. I'm sure you are wishing you did not tune in. Or did not come. 
Stop that nonsense. What did I say? Stop that rubbish. Stop that rubbish. It has to stop. It has to stop. And if you're a preacher of grace that will refuse to amplify what I'm saying, that grace is the ability to obey God, you are in trouble too. Any grace you are preaching that gives the impression that lose living, disobedience to God is without consequence, is a lying doctrine. Let me say something that many preachers don't say because they tell you that no, no, the grace of Jesus is a lie. This is what they don't say. That God punishes his children. He does. He flogs them. He chokes them till they will cry for help. He doesn't have like, his grace does not allow you to continue to disobey and life will go on smoothly for you. It is not true. Giving your life to Jesus, you start running away from disobedience. Giving your life to Jesus, you know what I found out? People gave the impression that Christianity is just, you know, bed of roses. Just life will just be going smooth, 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 smooth. No. The truth is that when you become a believer, in reality, life is easier. Let me give an example. Many of the pressures of life disappear if you would allow them to disappear. You know what people don't realize? When God gives a promise, we'll talk about promises in a moment, they just assume the promise is to be interpreted in the light of their own carnality. Do you get what I'm going to say? Let me explain what I'm going to say. For example, when Jesus says things like, um, my yoke is easy, my body is light. So we assume that we make money easily, I hope you're getting my point, and become rich lightly. We assume, when he says, whatever you can, if you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. We just assume, now I can ask for a Rolls Royce. Now I can ask, you know, for a, uh, for a mansion. We don't realize that when he utters words, those words that he utters are for his disciples. In which case, they must take everything. For example, when Jesus asks the Father for anything, the people he's telling, they've already understood that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. So he says to, the, he says to them, you can have anything you want. They also know, I don't have to have these things. Let me give an example. When you are young, very young, and maybe you're in boarding house, you know, if somebody says, ask for anything, you ask for food. Are you getting my point? But you get to a point in life, God blesses you. You're, you're 50 years old. You have plenty of food and stuff like that. When they give you food, it is, no, I don't need this. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You know, I'm watching my weight. No, I think I need to eat less. You know, this, and my stomach is getting too big. You know, the story will now not end. One story after the other. You're not rejecting things, even though they are available to you. Remember my story? My fridge of fried fish and fried meat, remember it? When I was young, I said, when I'm old enough and I can afford it, I'm going to have a fridge and each layer will be fried meat, fried fish. <laughs> now they will give me the fried meat and the fried fish and I will push a lot of it aside. In fact, many times I even specifically instruct, please don't put more than this because I know left to my wife and my daughter, they will pack everything. So I'll say, no, please be warned. <laughs> Do not do this. The man of God does not want it. Are you getting my point? That's how it is. So when God is giving you certain instructions, there are other instructions that he gave before that actually makes that, those other instructions, that is, you can have anything, he gives them, makes them workable in the life of a believer. So he teaches us a lot of things. Many things you want to pray about. God will say, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You could have asked him for anything, but remember that scripture. 
Remember Solomon. Remember Solomon. That is, I asked Solomon for, I gave him the opportunity to ask me for anything. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Grace. I'm going to say something here. So when God gives us grace, one of the things grace does for us, give us the ability to endure hardship. It gives us the ability to resist temptations. It never is an excuse where we do anything we like and we think we can get away with it. Let's bear that in mind. I just said, like, let me say that briefly. Okay? That's like in passing. Where was I before? I was going to explain something that, listen, the world controls people. Sometimes you give yourself over to the control of the world. Don't think it's without consequence. I went to that and to bring out something. If you choose the path of the world, there's a place it leads to. And even though you're a believer, you will get there. That's why I talk about that grace matter. People don't misunderstand the scriptures or the gospel. If you choose the wrong path, every path you choose in life has a predetermined end. If you have not read my tract, please download it. Predestination. In that I explain that. Is there predestination? The answer is yes. Is it that the way my life is has been determined where I will get to in life? Then we have to modify it slightly, slightly. What's predestination? God calls you and says, this is the road I chose for you. If you walk on that road, you will get to where he ordained. If you don't walk on that road, you will not get to where he ordained. Every road you walk on in this life has an ordained end. Every road you walk on in this life has an ordained end. That is the meaning of predestination or preordination. It does not mean, for example, that Judas had no choice but to betray Jesus. What it means is that Judas could have chosen to be a vessel of honor. Judas could have chosen to be a vessel of dishonor. Early in life, the choice was his. He made a choice that made him a vessel of what? Dishonor. He made him a vessel of what? Let me hear you. Good. And that was where he ended. Judas did not, listen to me, did not pray to enter the ministry of Jesus. He didn't. Judas is not prayed that God put me in the ministry of a man who, who you have ordained that somebody should betray. He didn't. He just was a thief. Labor for money? No, or rather still. He just was a thief. By being a thief, he chose a path. So, once they gave him the opportunity, he betrayed his best friend. And guess what? He was only 16. They gave him another opportunity. He betrayed his father. Why? The money was good. He said, no, don't worry. At the end of the day, I will say to my father. Once he did that, God was watching him. He got a particular age. You know, there's something I've been preaching. God gives you a number of choices. And he gives you a particular level of time to make the right decisions. Judas exhausted his number of choices or chances. Let me use the expression. It's a better one. He exhausted the number of chances. The time to change passed. He hadn't. So they sealed his destiny there. After that, there was no going back. So one day, Jesus saw him. He began to follow Jesus. And his family thought, oh, thank God, this boy is finally changing. They did not know. God said, who is changing? 
I'm looking for somebody to use to do a bad job. So the punishment I reserved for Judas since six, six years ago, it is now I will give it to him. I am going to lead him into a place where he will fill up the cup of his iniquity. The family was rejoicing that he's not going to church. They did not know that he would join the people who count offerings. They did not know that. So one day Jesus went and prayed. And the father revealed to him the 12 people that he would choose. And the father let him know. One of them is a devil. So he picked 12. You know the ones we all know very well. The Peter, the James, the John, the Matthew, you know, the Andrew, the Philip, all of those people. And you know the people I'm talking about. Thomas, let's not forget our brother Thomas. A man of zeal. And then, last of all, pick one, Judas. Add him to to the group. And he said to them, have I not chosen you twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Do you know, they did not know who the devil was. I suspect only John knew. Because he used to stay very close to Jesus. And they would take offerings for the day and it would not be complete. They would ask Judas, how, how much do we have there? Judas would say, we have only 17,000 naira, 200. And Jesus would just smile to himself. He is sure the money was 25,000. So he whispered to John, that money is 25,000. He said, Lord, but he said 17,000. He said, he's a thief. Don't tell Peter. <laughs> because Peter will not take nonsense. Peter will disgrace him. One day, let me not mention his one big minister in Nigeria. He went to church. He was the pastor of the church. When 20 naira was a huge money. We used to call him Muri. You know why they call him Muri? The head on it is Mutala Muhammad. So we used to call him Muri. One Muri. <laughs> so he went to church that day. And he, gave, so he took offering. Church was small. He put 20 naira. Now, 20 naira is like putting her. Okay, just assume that somebody put 5,000 naira as a note. In the offering. That's the size. Nothing less than that. So I think that they counted the offering. There was no 20 naira note of those days. That was the largest denomination in Nigeria. The pastor said no. There's supposed to be a 20 naira there. They said counted. He locked the door. Nobody's going anywhere. He said no. Locked the door. He and his workers. Everybody. He began to tap everybody down. <laughs> what he did not know that he was the one that gave the money. The brother counting the offering quickly removed it, kept it somewhere, and declared the rest. The man checked him and caught him. That was Peter in ministry. Peter now, ah. That's why John didn't tell Peter. (laughs) Because Peter will have blocked everybody. Everybody stay here. Sorry. 15 denarii are missing. He will remove, (laughs) he will strip. (laughs) But now, where I'm going is that, do you know, Judas looked very honest. Most people did not realize what he was doing, but Jesus knew. But listen to this. Ah, I probably get the point. By the time he entered into the ministry, his days of repentance were gone. He thought he was smart. He thought that the Lord did not notice him. That was why he was getting away with everything. It was amazing, actually, because Jesus could tell so many things. He suddenly didn't know who was taking the money. Judas thought. The spirit allowed him to be deceived. The, real, the truth? His destiny had been sealed. He had no choice 
Remember, someone is controlling you. He had no choice but to betray Jesus Christ. Peter could not have betrayed Jesus. God is too just for that. Go and read what Paul said. He said, God is not unjust so as to forget your love. Are you getting my point? The labor, the love that you have shown towards the saints, in that you minister to them and still do what? Minister. God knew Peter. It would have been unjust for him, and he wasn't unjust, to have made Peter betray Jesus. You may laugh at Thomas. Thomas was one of the most zealous of his, of his disciples. In fact, number one, when it comes to zeal. Because when they were going to go back to Bethany, where they raised Lazarus up, they said, sir, he said, he's, uh, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. He said, all of them said, praise God. If he's sleeping, he shall wake up. He said, you must make me just say everything. Shall I do my whole mouth? The man has died, according to your language. But I'm saying he's sleeping, because as far as I'm concerned, when I go there, I will tap him, he will wake up again. So you want to go back to where they are looking for to stone you? All of them had a council meeting. I said, this is not right. You know what Thomas said? He wants to die. And that's what Thomas said. He said he wants to die. So what should we do? Let us go and die with him. That, that was it. When they were going to raise Lazarus, all of them said, we are dead. So now, let me paint my own picture again. Jesus was in front. Thomas was behind. Peter was after that. Judas was at the back. Because when they start killing people, he's going to run away. <laughs> Thomas was zealous. The law would not have allowed Thomas to be the one to betray Jesus Christ. Predestination means you choose your road. You don't determine the end. You discover the end. Let me say that again. Predestination means you do what? You choose your road. You don't determine the end. What do you do? You discover it. You discover it. Where did it take you to? You don't know. What you can just do is to trust God. For those of us who are believers, we trust him. We walk with him. We follow him everywhere. And trust that what he said is true. I know the thoughts I have for you. That's what he said. He said they are thoughts of good, not of evil. To give you a future and an end. To give you a hope and a future, depending on the version you are reading. Just trust that. That he has better thoughts for you than you can ever have for yourself. That's how you know. That is the meaning of predestination. Judas chose a wrong road. He ended up where he ended. Peter chose a different road. He became the Peter we are talking about here today. Please, let's bear these things in mind. That is what, listen, can I say something? The sacrifice of Jesus does not change the quality of the road. Jesus came does not mean if you are behaving like Judas, you end up like John. It doesn't work like that. Though. The coming of Jesus in your life, what it does is simple. When you give your life to Christ, it takes you from the path of Judas and puts you on the path that Peter took. Grace takes you away from the path of destruction and puts you on the path of life. That's what it does. The sacrifice of Jesus does not change where choices lead. The sacrifice of Jesus 
all right, does not change what each path produces. If you're on the path that leads to destruction, to destruction you shall go. Jesus or no Jesus. What Jesus does is to see you on the path of destruction. He reveals himself to you. You're on the road to Damascus. That's the path of destruction. And he says that, why do you persecute me? You understand, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul gives his life to Christ. He goes back, he's baptized, and he's told what to do. That became the path of life for him. Please, your faith will not excuse your disobedience. I want you to understand that. There is what we call trespass, we are talking about the other day, and in which you do not know that what you are doing is wrong. God is very kind. He's very merciful. He will allow such things, okay? The Bible says in the days of ignorance, God winked at some things. But once he begins to give you understanding and revelation, he demands obedience. Let me say this to you. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, what should you do? Cut it off. If it's your right hand that causes you to stumble, what do you say? Cut it off. Now, have you asked that question before? Was it literal or was it not literal? Now, sometimes people will tell you that Jesus says what he means and he means what he says, which is true. But then he also spoke a language. And sometimes languages have ways by which they speak. So he used to use exaggerations also. For example, he would say to you, you swallow a camel. Did you ever see any Pharisees swallow a literal camel? No. Sometimes we take what Jesus says, no, in a what I call a hyper-literal manner. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. You understand? People now say, because a camel cannot, it is impossible to pass through a literal eye of the needle. So he was saying the rich can never be saved. He didn't say so. Sometimes he also uses, you know, hyperboles to emphasize his point. However, let's go back to that issue. Did he mean literally you should cut off your hand or pluck out your eye? Yes and no. I personally think he was trying to emphasize a point, And that emphasizes what I want to say, I want to bring out. Now, what he was saying is this. Listen to me. I don't believe it will have been necessary for somebody to literally cut off a hand. I don't believe it will ever be, well, let me say, it will be really necessary for you to pluck out the eye. However, if you understood what he was saying, if you're able to relate to the fact that plucking out of the eye is what will come up next, that, hindra- that weakness, do you know you will overcome it? I don't know whether you're getting my point. That's what he was saying. Let us assume he was literal. Let's assume for a moment. And what he's just saying is that this is causing me to stumble. You will know that all the- that's when you will discover the 17 other ways to prevent stumbling so you can keep your eyes. Do you follow my point? If they say they are going to cut off your hand, and you're absolutely certain, believe me, you will find the 25 keys to not stumbling, just to keep your hand. Now, what am I bringing from there? What I am bringing that from there is that that is how we are supposed to follow obedience to God with intensity. Just assume he's going to pluck out your eye. Just assume he's going to pluck out your heart. Assume he's going to cut off your hand. Assume he's going to dismember you. If you can have that assumption, you'll be amazed at what you can overcome, especially when grace is available for it. Especially when grace is available for it. You will be amazed at what you can overcome. You'll be amazed. What am I preaching? 
believers in Christ Jesus, let's use that kind of heart to follow him. These days, believe me, oh God, we preach convenient Christianity. We preach Christianity that has no sacrifice. All the sacrifices, let me say something I've said once in a while, but now I'm getting even more How do I say it? Convinced I should say it more. I'm getting more aggressive in saying it. It's a popular doctrine, but it's a wrong doctrine. Big men preach it. It is a wrong doctrine. Now, this is a statement I don't make often. I want to make it now. It has reached the point. God says it is an evil doctrine. Before, I used to emphasize that I was wrong. Now, I brought out a new revelation for it now. To say what I'm about to say is an evil doctrine. Stop telling Christians to give for what they are going to get. It's an evil doctrine. The doctrine is, oh God, is satanic. You know why? It fits the flesh. Because we have a Christianity. There are people who think, what is in it for me is what you must first answer. If Listen to me. I don't care who is offended by this. You know, one of our brothers sent me a message the other day, yesterday. Billy Akon is teaching, in, he finished teaching this morning in um, at, when, uh, SU National Convention. And I followed today's message, all right? And what, what the brother said to me is this. He quoted, I didn't know about it until he told me, he sent a message yesterday night. That God raised Jeremiah up for a confrontational ministry. And brother Billy said, do you know why it is necessary? To have a confrontational ministry. That when people have done too much bad, there's the only way to correct them. So he was encouraging me. Say, Pastor, go on with confrontation. I said, thank you. I received the grace to cause trouble. The worst anybody will do in Nigeria after this is not to invite me to their church. Is that not so? Oh, God. I love Kingdom World Ministries. You know why? I'll tell you the reason why. Because... I'm the bishop. <laughs> Which means I preach what I like. Before Pastor Okemute came to Enugu, we had made this pulpit. So what is he going to do now? Drive me away from the pulpit. While Thor Reverend was still doing Ajwaya, we had made this pulpit. When Israel came here for the first time, he was still a student. This pulpit was already here. The Lord sent me and his spirit. We made this pulpit, my wife and I. So, what I like, I said. They can't even gather together to say they will not agree. (laughs) That's why I mentioned all of them. It's nothing. If you tell Christians to give for what they will get, you are teaching them how to amplify the power of the flesh. You say, but Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. There's a difference between give and it shall be given and give so that it can be given. Give and it shall be given is a knowledge of spiritual principle. And it's like everything that goes up must come down. God said, I test your heart. 
I want to know why you are giving before I reward your giving. Why am I going over that again? Because we have a gospel these days that does not preach self-denial. So every time I'm giving, I'm expecting something. If you are like that, you are not a giver. You are an investor. You know, I keep on saying it. There's a difference between investment and giving. I heard a preacher, very powerful on giving, was preaching. He said, I don't know about you. When I give, I'm not at rest until the reward chance starts coming in. I felt like I said, bro, you are not a giver. I'm not saying it's wrong what you are doing in that sense. Let's just agree on one thing. You are not a giver, you are an investor. For example, if I buy shares in Guarantee Trust Bank, or I buy in, you know, Oando, if their share price starts going down, will I be happy? If they declare no dividends for the next three years, will I be happy? If they declare loss for the next ten years, will I be happy? Am I an evil person? Answer me, am I an evil person? What am I? An investor. A Christian that's not comfortable until he starts receiving, he's not a giver. He's an investor. And when they say God loves a cheerful investor, my emphasis, however, is on the need to understand that Christianity must be sacrificial. I want to say sacrificial. I don't mean, oh God, please. If you have a copy of this, this our new magazine, please read. There's an article inside written by one of our local brothers titled Sacrificial Giving. Please read it. I'm begging you. He explained the meaning of sacrificial giving. It's a very beautiful one. He explained that the Macedonians did sacrificial giving. The Philippians did sacrificial giving. They gave until it pained them. But for what purpose? So they could be a blessing to other people. Not to get anything. It just to be what? A blessing. I'm explaining something here. So Christians, let's understand what grace does. Grace makes us more Christ-like. It does not excuse being more Satan-like. There's one sticker they used to put those days. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm a child of God. Now, it's a beautiful speaker, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. But there's something <laughs> I pointed out from it. Some people will be very wicked. If they borrow money from you, they will never pay you. If you give them something, they will never return it. They steal, they cheat, they lie, they commit sexual immorality, then they'll buy that sticker and put it on their car. Believe it or not, I'm a child of God. I say, yes, we can't believe it. That's why you need the sticker. <laughs> That's why you need the sticker. You need the sticker. Because nothing else apart from your sticker tells us you're a child of God. It ought not to be so. Grace makes it possible to be a real child of God. Grace makes it possible for me to be like Christ Jesus. That's what grace does. I had again to do that. Do you know the truth? I can't remember. But I'll go back to the beginning of my message. Maybe I'll find where we got into that. I was revising the fact that redemption... Redemption means we now have what? An owner. We have not been delivered to run riot and do anything we like. 
And listen to me. You see, somebody says that once you give your life to Christ, you are permanently saved. Let me tell you something. You know, like I said, I said that we have to say the way it is. I will say it to you clearly. It's not true. It cannot be true. Too many scriptures, I don't want to go through them now, show that it can't be true. You are only saved while you hold on to your salvation. While you hold on to Christ. I'm going somewhere. If, like a prodigal son, you decide to go, you are in trouble. I want you to hear it clearly. I want you to hear that very clearly. If, like a prodigal son, you go away, you don't return home, and the Lord comes, you are on your own. Why am I saying this? Because we talked about redemption being what? Buying. Having what? A sense of ownership. Knowing that you belong to somebody and you have to be accountable to that person. That is the meaning of redemption. The prodigal son, why did he lose his position in the house? It is simple. Because he thought only about sonship rights. He did not think about, you know, duties of his position. You will lose your position in life if all you ever think about is what? Sonship, your rights. Let me say to you again. The Lord has ordained that every one of his children that will only think about his or her rights will lose that position. Except you think more about your duties. Let me say it one more time. You will lose your position in life if you are more concerned about the rights of that position rather than the duties of the position. The prodigal son was thinking only about the rights. I want the part of the estate that belongs to me. You know, I drove down with my son today. And I'm just telling him about things on the way. The last section of the road we found our house is very bad. And I said to him, I said, you see, what pains me about Nigeria as a nation, okay, is that we have, listen to me, literally, where I'm a spiritual person, so anger lies in the bosom of a fool, so I have tried not to be angry. He said, put away anger, so I put away anger. But just a bit disappointed a lot of times. I said, look at this road, we can easily fix it. That the resources, we have them in abundance. I said, the problem, I told him, you know the problem? Why is the road bad? I said, because everybody says government should come and fix it. It's a right of a citizen. We have a right to a good road. And that's why we don't have. Say, Pastor Baggy, who should fix it? Listen to me. The cost of the fences in my neighborhood. If you tell everybody, let's form an association. And each person, you will put down the cost of the fence of your house. Not more. Just the fence of your house. Give us the cost of the fence of your house. We will have concrete road all over that estate. Please, am I lying? One day my friend came to my house. He said, Banky, this your fence is a bungalow. When he saw the size of the fence, he said, we can build a house with this fence now. I said, bros, now so we see more. In my neighborhood, no, my own fence doesn't have those fancy fancy things. People tile their fence. You know, it tiles everywhere. 
If you tell him the cost of that fence, give it to us. We'll put concrete on the front half, just in front of your house, half of it. Do you know what they do everywhere? You know we have a fence. You know we have concrete roads all over our neighborhood. You know that? Somebody proposed it long ago. So one day, and so I was not telling my son today, I said, in the America we want to run to, give me Canadian visa or I perish. Send me to Europe. Those of you who missed our Bible study yesterday, you missed some of the information we had yesterday. Send me to Europe, otherwise I don't go bomb picking. You all kinds of commitments we make. I pointed to my son today. I said, do you know everybody there pays for those roads? He said, how? I said, because once you are upper middle class in class in most of those countries, your tax bracket is 40%. So if you hear that a man is earning $500,000 a year, government collects 200000 of it. That's how come he has road in front of his house. I said, but tell my brethren here to pay that money. They will vote you out of power. Of course, we don't trust the government enough to give them the amount of money. We don't have that. We have trust issues. But what about the neighborhood? Why can't you gather? I lived in a neighborhood where the cost of land for a thousand square meters was nothing less than 30 million. I, we, I was secretary of, uh, I was, I was a member of the, uh, the, the what they call the executive of the neighborhood. We couldn't get landlords to pay 2,000 a month for security fees, levy. We could not get landlords to give us 2,000 a month. Yet the cost of the land their house were on was 30 million. I'm not talking about the houses they built on it. And I was one of the few tenants. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Most occupants were owners. Every time I go to my friend's area in the U.S., my very good friend in Texas, in Houston, last time we were there, that was last year, just driving around, I said, my God, this your neighborhood is beautiful. It's beautiful. How do you guys manage? He said it cost me $1,000 every year. Not his house. I said, what? Neighborhood. Where we were that was admired was at least five kilometers away from his house. So that whole area, I said, every house has to pay $1,000 to the neighborhood association to have this grass you are seeing. Not the road. Oh, no, the road is a different matter. That's government. Just to have the grass trimmed. To have the leaves swept. He said, I pay $1,000 a year. I said, oh, fine neighborhood is not free. Now, his own is a massive estate, the way we talk about in Nigeria here, in Enugu. Massive. He said, each person pays $1,000 per annum. So they literally have minimum of a million dollars a year to cut grass. Sometimes you get, in fact, I still remember that the one guy was, you know, trimming the grass to the edge of the curb, you know, making sure the thing is nice and trim. He said, bros, that's my $1,000. <laughs> you know, once I had an idea, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I said, it's very simple. You know, when our former governor fixed up all the roads around, and now we all know what kills this road is, is water. That is like, when drainage, drainage will block. You know, Enugu has natural hills and all of that. You just need to create channels for them. So sometimes the channel is blocked, we can have a problem. So I'm not having an idea. I said, oh, I need to tell somebody in government that there's an easy way to fix this. That just make a law in the state to make each 
household responsible for the gutter in front of their homes. I haven't had an idea. We are teaching now, so I won't go into details about it. On how to make multi-millionaires from that. Rendering the service, not stealing money. That just, okay, let me just give you the idea. Somebody may want to use it. I said that free them from the obligation if they subscribe to a maintenance company. I don't know what I get my point. Just, so each person, so license about five maintenance com- companies for the city. So if my gutter is blocked, they will catch, they will find the maintenance company. If I can show them the receipt that I've paid. And the maintenance company can be, can be as cheap as 200 naira a month, 1,000 naira a year, because the idea just keep the gutter free. That's a brilliant idea. So now, you say, oh, Pastor Manke, very inspired. Joseph, oh, amen. You don't think I'm like Joseph? No, I'm not. I'll tell you why. So once, my friend, I'll tell you about in the U.S. I was reading the news. They said the snow was very bad, so about four people died because of the snow. I said, how did the snow kill people? Did, did they, of course, when they give you statistics in those countries, some of them include people who fell because the snow was slippery. They broke a leg, they died in hospital, or they hit their head and they died. But one group I saw were elderly people that had a heart attack shoveling snow. So I called my friend. We were talking. I said, oh, boy. They did not know they had bad hearts. He said they did. So why were they shoveling snow? He said, oh, Banky, there's a way it works here. I said, how does it work? He said, the law makes you responsible for the section of the curb, the walkway in front of your house. So if he snows and a pedestrian falls and injures himself, he sues you. Do you get what I'm trying to say? If a car has a problem because there's snow in front of your house, not in your compound, the walkway, the curb, that area, he says, so that's why after the snow is over, everybody comes out to clear it. I said, and I thought I was a Joseph. I did not know that people are already taking these responsibilities all over the world, which is why they have beautiful countries. And my brethren, we go and campaign. We don't want this government. We don't have roads. And they will pack their luggage and rush to countries where they have good roads and pay those taxes and clear those cabs and pay the duties and come back home and point to government. When they get to those countries, they can't point to any government. The government in some countries take up to 50% of whatever you earn if you're a multi-millionaire, they say, what are you doing with the money? You hear footballers collect $10 million a year, to 50, you know, 50 million this, 10 million pounds. Ask them who's collecting most of the money. Some people are in, the, in some countries, they pay up to 60% as tax. Why am I preaching government, government today? I made a statement. I want to make it again. Until you reorient, I'll make that statement again. Let me just make my statement, a new sentence. Until you reorient the people to start thinking about responsibility rather than the rights and privileges of a particular position, they will not experience the lost blessings. This is a statement to the people of God I made earlier. Listen to this. If you don't start thinking of the duties and the responsibilities of a position, but you are occupied with the privileges, you will soon lose that position. That is the word of the Lord to you. You are in an office, you keep on saying, this kind of office now, I should have a car attached to myself. The Lord says, I will have them sack you. Then go and buy your car by yourself. 
You know why the prodigal son lost his position? He was thinking of the duties, the, the, the privileges. He was not thinking of the duties. He was thinking of the privileges. Your husband is so occupied with, you will do everything I say in this house. Like, Apostle, remember the woman that, the, the man that came to you? I was complaining. When you first told me to, I was angry. The Bible says, <laughs> you, the body of the woman <laughs> belongs to the husband, and the body of the husband belongs to the wife. What kind of nonsense is this one? These women will be tempting some men to go, you know, I've talked my rubbish. God just look me say, the first to state a case seems just. You have to hear the second side. Anyway, I was just in with you, so there was no problem. It was what you told me, you wicked soul. You came to report to me. But of course, we don't agree that, that we have to hear the second side, though. When man of God heard the second side, I said, give me the husband. I must castrate him now. No, give me the clippers. What are you doing with a woman's body? The woman complained that, Pastor, it's not like he's saying, no. that we, we live on the third floor, that they didn't have a um, pump machine, pump machine was bad, that we climb down, bring water up, cook, best children, still go to work. The Bible says, some will make you, made you knock for the kingdom's sake. That much, here you knock. For the sake of the kingdom. He also, I was like, what? Honestly, I'm not joking about this. If it was my house, and it was just my wife and I, my wife won't go down. That is, she'll just say, my husband, there's no water upstairs, and I know what it means. If my wife, if, if nobody's at home, and the, the light goes off, <laughs> I don't think my wife can start generator. <laughs> She will have to call. I will say, go here, do this, because start generator. Since I got married, my wife has not washed the car once. Why did she wash the car? The, and there was a day there was only two of us there. I washed the car. We even, by the time we came to Enugu, we had two. That is, she had one, I had one. I washed both. If I remember one day, she even got angry with me. Why? She came to wash me, help me, join me to wash. I said, no, go and sit down and be watching. That it, it feels good. Just be telling stories. Sit over there. She said, no, she's not used to that kind of thing. <laughs> I said, no, now go and sit down. I want you to just be watching me from afar as I'm washing the car. So if I come to Pastor Okemuti, then he can be quoting that, you know, those scriptures will be right. I said, man of God, I've done my duties. My privileges have been denied to me. <laughs> we now lay hands and say, in the name of Jesus, receive your privileges. And I will say, Amen. Many people go around, they are so occupied with the thoughts concerning their what? Privileges. And their lives become prodigal. Their lives become prodigal. That is the foundation of prodigality. I hope the English is appropriate. You get to an office, you're thinking, eh, eh, how much are they paying self? You didn't even ask, well, what am I supposed to be doing? When you have done what you're supposed to do in a hundred percent, as a child of God, you now put ten percent extra, just in case. This is what salvation is: for us to be occupied with the thoughts of redemption, 
That is the duties of ownership. That's what I'm trying to say. We have a lot of time. We can sing songs. I'm walking in power. I'm walking in victory. I live a life of favor. I know who I am. Ole. <laughs> it's a song good. Very good song. But don't forget that's not all there is to it. I live a life of duty. I know who he is. I don't want to. Uh, who sang that? Was this Sinatch? Please help me call her after. She's your friend. Tell her, say, release another line. Add this one, join them. Not who I am, that's in my duty. I know who he is. I know who my owner is. That's what redemption is. Anyone who's so occupied, anyone who's so occupied with the privileges of that position, we lose it. That is the will of God. That is the order of God. That is the order of God. Anyone that is so occupied with the thoughts of the privileges of that position will lose it. So, one of the scriptures that gave me a hard time, because as a young believer, what I was taught mostly was the duty, was the privileges of Christianity. You ask for this, you get it. Jesus said, I have power to do what? To lay it down. The first thing we should have been taught is the duties, not the privileges. Power to lay down is first before power to take. So I have power to take it up again. I lay it down first. That's most important. I had all, we, we had all those things. You can ask God for anything. And he will give to you. You believe God for healing. In, incidentally, we saw, you know, I'm looking back now. Jesus. He said, I'm preaching and it just struck me. It's just striking me now. The most powerful manifestations of the spirit we had had to do, in the, to do with the area of duties. I just, you know, as I'm preaching, I just, it just clicked. It just clicked. And I remember there are two people in the scriptures that Jesus said their faith was great. The Syrophoenician woman, he said, daughter, great is thy faith. The Roman centurion, who he said, I have not seen faith like this, not in the whole of Israel. Both of them asked for nothing for themselves. The, the, the centurion came to ask for his servant. His slave. That's what they used. Love compelled him. And God gave him understanding. The other woman was so occupied with love for his, her daughter that if Jesus said what he said today, Twitter storm, you know what they call it, Twitter storm? People will finish him on Twitter. Racism. Tribalism. What's uh, misogynism? What's that one? Misogyny. 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 Whatever, you know. Now, three things. Think about it. Call the woman a dog. One, she's not from his tribe. That's tribalism. She's from from his race. That's racism. She's a woman. And is a man. That's misogyny or misogyny. Or miso, whatever. I've never known how to pronounce that nonsense. There's a lot of madness out there. You can't say anything now. 
yesterday, this woman got into a fight. J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter series. My friend America said it's good. She's a billionaire. She will not care. What they will do, they will cancel. You know what they call cancel? They will cancel her. Go and Google up what they call the cancel culture. What was her problem? She said there's nothing wrong with being a woman. Ah, he said, Pastor Banky, what are you saying? Yes, that's all. That we should be proud to be women. They said no. That you are, you are discriminating against transgender people. The woman said, no, I'm not. I'm being proud to be a woman. Nothing wrong with that. He said, I've been a subject of abuse. I've been, I said, but I'm telling you, we cannot cancel their woman identity. Say attack. The people that led the attack against her, she returned the award they gave her a few years ago. Say, I don't want your award, but I will say what I want to say. This award is a crazy place. I hide in the rock. Because outside, there's too much madness. I ask my wife sometimes, those who don't pray, that you are not mad yet. In fact, you are mad already. There's no need to say you are not mad yet. Because if you are not mad, it's a sign of madness. Because... For you to be sane in the midst of the madness, something must be wrong with you. Let's get back to our message. The woman didn't think anything of it. She was occupied with the love for her daughter. They said it is wrong. First, you forgot one part. Jesus first ignored her. Master, have mercy on me. Did like nobody was talking. So the woman said, Peter, talk to him. Peter said, did you talk to him directly? He said, I didn't hear me. He said, maybe he was praying. John, talk to him. Andrew, please now. Thomas, you are, I hear you are this most zealous of them all. Talk to him. After a few days of harassment, Peter said, please, sir. He's not, he said, Talk, help this woman now. He said, no, no, no. I was sent only to the lost ship of the house of Israel. He said, okay. Then explain it to her so she can go. So he turned to the woman and said, listen, my dear sister. Is it right for you to give food meant for the children and feed it to dogs? The woman took her phone. Let me tweet that comment. She said, no, but my daughter will die. Drop the phone. She said, dog, so sir, what you are saying now is that this one is for the children, which are your tribe. They are your tribe's people. Say, yes. So we, we are dogs. Jesus said, that's why I talk. Say, Lord, can I ask you a question? When children are eating, do crumbs fall from their father's table? Jesus said, yes. He said, just give me one of the crumbs. I'm a dog. I'll eat from there. Jesus said, yeah. Yeah. See faith. Which I believe, listen to me, was greater than that of the centurion. He said, why do you say so? Well, no, Jesus said, I didn't see it in Israel. This was not in Israel. I mean, this was not an Israeli person. You understand? You know my reason? Two things were there. What did the Roman centurion believe? That Jesus would speak the word only, and the daughter and the servant would be what? Healed. What did the woman have to believe? First, he also had to believe that Jesus would stand there and heal the daughter far away. Exactly what the centurion believed. True of us? No, think about it for a moment before you say true. Was the daughter there? She was also far away, just like the, the servant of the centurion was far away. 
On top of that, she had to overcome the obstacle of being called a dog. The centurion didn't have to overcome that. What I'm talking about is how did it happen? None of these two people asked anything for themselves. You know, I said, as I was saying it, I suddenly connected. Sometimes I will give you testimonies of how, what happened when we were in school. God manifested. Yes, he blessed us different ways. Oh, he helped me with my exam. A lot of times. But I remember two extremely dramatic testimonies that I personally witnessed. In both, we were not asking anything for ourselves. Those of us praying. One, I prayed for my sister. Two, I joined my friends to pray for his family. In both situations, we saw overnight miracles. <laughs> you know when we're being taught those days? Believe God for anything. You know they told us, you are a son of God. You're not a servant. And then one day, this unfortunate man of God went to radio to say it, and they said, crucify him. Because he said, you are a servant of God. I remember, they were fighting, fighting. No, you are not just a servant. Huh? You are a son of God. You are superior to servants. I believed that at the time, too. So I had a particular scripture that was very difficult for me. In Isaiah chapter 54, he said, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper. He said it. No weapon that is found against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. That's not the confusing part. The confusing part was not said, this is the heritage of the servants of God. Just spoiler. We wanted to claim it. In fact, we were claiming it, but Holy Spirit didn't leave me alone. He said, Banky, it is the heritage of what? Servants. I said, no, I'm a son. Okay, we're not started saying that we have a covenant that is superior. If servants can have this, how much more sons? Because I didn't say sons, bros. I said, this is the heritage of the servants. Took me more than 10 years before I finally understood. Sons, yes, they are saved. Servants, they understand that they are redeemed and they are in service to somebody. Do you get my point? A man had two sons. That scripture you find here and there. And when God, when Jesus will be talking about those sons, it's always about what they do. The first one came and said, give me my, the portion of my inheritance. The, his life became prodigal. So prodigal till today his name is prodigal son. <laughs> Even though he repented, we didn't say the repented son. What do you see call him? The prodigal son. He went back home. We don't care. <laughs> His name is the prodigal son. One of our brothers came. I won't mention his name. I won't tell you where he's sitting in this hall. Say he wants to be farming pigs. I said, are you looking for prodigal sons to work for you? <laughs> and anytime they are casting out demons, carry your flock or motto. <laughs> Anytime they are casting out demons, you know what to do. <laughs> the prodigal son's life was so prodigal. 
His name is prodigal son after 2,000 years. Why? Because his emphasis was on what? What do I get? His emphasis was, what's my privilege? Where's my inheritance? Our lives begin to be prodigal once our emphasis is on our privileges. What is salvation? For us to know that we're saved for a reason. I began that last time and I explained that one thing God does for you when you give your life to Christ is to reunite you with the purpose of God for your life. What I wanted to talk about today, maybe I should introduce it and then develop it another time, is the issue of being, in fact, my initial plan was to title today's message, Salvation is Enlistment. That was my initial plan. Let us understand that when you are saved, you are enlisted into the Lord's army. And my emphasis in it is for us to forget this issue of this self-centered, I must enjoy life attitude. Soldiers have a purpose. The reason why God called the army out, there is a reason for it. And soldiers pursue that purpose. Listen, in life you must learn to think in different, how do I say it like this? The Bible talks about the many-sided wisdom of God. Just like God has many sides, we, the lives of his children also, has, also have many sides. What do I mean by that? Learn to take hold of one, Solomon will say, and not let go of the other. What I mean is this. There's a truth. For example, prosperity. If you read my book, um, Grace to Prosper, there are two chapters there that the titles appear conflicting. One says the vow of prosperity. The other one says the vow of what? Poverty. The other says the vow of poverty. Now, if you look at the surface, you wonder, why are we confusing ourselves? But if you read it very well, you will know it is possible to, to live under the vow of poverty, at the same time, live under the vow of prosperity. You must learn how to combine the many sides of the wisdom of God. There are sonship rights. You've heard me teach this again and again. But there are also rights of the servant. There are also duties of the servant. Christians must learn to just imbibe both and let, like Solomon said, whoever pleases God will comfort with both of them. If both of them enters into your life, something will rise to the surface at each time that is required. Let me give you an example. A man like Paul. Paul was a soldier of Christ like you and I are supposed to be. We realize that from the book of Galatians chapter 1. Paul explained that from my mother's womb God knew me. From my mother's womb he called me. Then a time came in which he revealed his son in me. What does that tell you? That what Christianity does, what Christ does for you is to reunite you with the purpose of God which he determined while you were sitting in your mother's womb. Paul understood that. Now, many of the revelations we claim when we're learning faith, not many, most of them, we learn from a man like Paul. Of course, we have words from the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of Paul are actually the words of the Lord Jesus that he gave to Paul to give to, to, give to us. We also learn from people like Peter, James, and of course, John. We learn from all of these people. 
So Paul knew what we know now. Two of us. Two of us, answer me. He knew what we know now. In fact, he said it as poor, yet making many rich. He understood that he could make people rich. There were rich people around Paul, you know that. He wrote to Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this world not to be conceited or to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. There were rich people there. There were rich people around Paul. He knew all of these things. And it is in the revelation Paul had. Now, as being rich, as, sorry, as having understanding, he knew he could be rich. He could pray for people, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. He that ministers seed to the soil and bread for food shall both supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul understood all of these things. He did. Another thing he understood was a now listen to what I'm going to say. He understood the rights of a preacher. As a man, he said, I have the right to take one of the sisters as a wife. And me, not only me, the men who are with me. He said, as a minister of the gospel, I have the right to be supported by every, by every group I minister to. That if I get to Ephesus and I settle down, they should start ministering to me. I preach, they bring the food. They bring the water. They pay for accommodation. They change our clothes. Yeah, the same part. Now, those are, those are the rights, the privileges of his offices. Both as a son of God, a child of God, and as a minister of God. He said, however, there's an issue. If I preach the gospel, there's no benefit that is to me. That is, I have not done anything beyond the ordinary. He said, why? Because woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He was saying like Jeremiah, that if I don't preach, the word will become like fire in my bones. Why should I be paid to take my medicine? I don't know whether you're getting my point. That preaching is relief for my soul. Preaching is relief for my soul. That is, I enjoy preaching, that's one. But more importantly, I was born to preach. If I don't preach, pressure builds up inside my heart. He says, so anytime you see me preach, I don't deserve any special commendation. He said, but remember I said to you earlier, if you're walking somewhere, you walk the 100%, put another 10% on it. Because that is the one God will bless. Really, that's the one God will, let me use the word, when I say bless, now that's the one he will say, nah, you have done well. If you do 100% and you're paid for 100%, that's normal doing. Muslims do it. Krishna, you know, Krishna. Those who worship Krishna, they do it. That what is special about you as a believer is one you put on top of the 100%. Better than mind. So Paul said, what is my above 100%? He said, when I come to Ephesus, I don't put any demand on anybody. I have the right to put the demand. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, but I do not put the demand on anybody. He said, that is my boast. So when he was leaving Ephesus, he said to them, I have not neglected you know, to tell you everything that I know. I have delivered to you the whole counsel of God. And I have coveted nobody's goods. He said, when did you ever gather to take an offering and say it's my own? 
When did I come and when did I come to you with any of my personal needs? He said, You're all witnesses. How my hands, and of course, he implied, and those of the, the, my men, minister to our needs. He said, That is one thing I'm doing that is beyond what I'm required to do. Why? Because I don't want anything to hinder the progress of this gospel. Please, I hope you're getting my point. I said, by explaining that Paul understood all the, all the revelations we knew. He knows it too. Or he knew it. He knew it. But he said, no, no, I need to go beyond that. So he forsook his rights. He abandoned his privileges and focused on his duties. He said, I'm doing in my body right now, my share. I'm doing with my life, my own share. Or He said, I'm fulfilling that which is lacking. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. He said, there is something lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what we are putting inside. And I used to wonder, how can something be lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus? Later on, I understood what he was saying. That Jesus died. That is true. He died to save the world. That is true. He said, but, it was writing in Romans. How can they believe except they say preacher? How can they preach except they are sent? So I'm one that has been sent. They can't believe except they say preacher. So even though Jesus died for them, it will not benefit them. So I'm doing my part in that which is lacking. So Jesus died. The death of Jesus does not announce itself. You know, it doesn't announce itself. Jesus appeared not to the whole world, but to select few, his disciples. They are supposed to take that news and carry it elsewhere. So what did Paul do? Paul said, listen, we are on assignment. So even though I have the right to a wife, right now it's not convenient. Why? I would have to be thinking of, have they eaten while I'm being shipwrecked? How do you handle shipwreck when you're thinking of your wife and your children? So those of you who will not be shipwrecked, please take your wife. Those of us who are going to be shipwrecked, <laughs> let's leave this matter. And you read the story, I have the book, um, Pyelton. Let me just say something. I said it like that time, learn to think with assignment in mind. What did I say? Yeah, the purpose for your life. Think with the purpose for your life in mind. When you are making decisions, even when you want to marry, eh? Don't think foolish thoughts. This woman will fit me in public. Yeah, you know, some people are so stupid. Some believers are very, very silly. When you hear some things they say, you won't believe it. Honestly, learn to think with purpose in mind. You can't choose who will be your wife. You can't choose who will be your husband. But think, just, have that, just have that in mind. I didn't know what I know now, but those people guided me. One of the things I said those days is that if you've read my book, of course, we've broken it now into two parts, so I can now put them separately. The first one, which is, how, uh, should I say yes? If it is, should I say yes, I explain something there. That one of the things I was looking for as a young man, single young man, in a wife, the number of things, there are three things, but one, very crucial. I said, I beg you, my wife must believe that I'm called to teach. Yes. To me, it was crucial. It was crucial to me. No matter, listen, there's nothing else you want to bring into my life. If you did not believe, I, I don't mean believe as in, ah, yeah, a good preacher. You know that kind of thing. You know, there are this over there, yeah, you are, you are doing well, you try. 
Yeah, 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 I heard you. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are fully committed. No, I'm not saying to God. No. That one is there. That's my number one. Committed to God, to the word of God. But two other things I put in. One of the other two was that the person must be committed, that is, must be fully persuaded about the anointing of God upon my life. Fully persuaded. Full, fully persuaded. Why? Because this is what we are going to do. That is, this is what this life is about. I don't... How can you... I can, you know, two cannot work together except they totally agree. I don't want a wife that will be grumbling in my ears that the reason why the children have not gone to school is because I'm preaching. I prefer to tell the wife that will say, tell to the children, we have not gone to school. Is our sacrifice for the call of God in our lives. Do you get my point? It's how you address the matter. Because like I said to you, faith must have what? A sacrifice. Yeah. Faith has sacrifices. If your faith is always getting and getting for you, you don't believe yet. You must be able to trace things you walked away from because of your faith. Listen, many of the losses you will suffer in life, that's what God is doing. He wants to give you a record. I don't know whether I get my point. He said, those that fear the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord heard it. And the book of what? Remembrance. There are things that God does so he will have something to remember. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Yes, there are challenges God will take you through in life. He wants your response so you will have something to remember. He said to Abraham, did he not call Abraham? Did he not promise him things? Yet when he sacrificed Isaac, he said, because of this thing you have done. He didn't say because I promised to. I don't know whether you get heard me right. Go and read it. One of the things I wanted to read today was to show you that people walk towards the fulfillment of the promises of God. He said these were the people that came to David with one singular purpose in mind, to make him king according to the word of God. They didn't go to sleep so that the word of God can be fulfilled. God took Abraham, took him through this, took him through that, took him through everything. For one purpose, so you will have a remembrance. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Listen, when you have challenges in life, make it a remembrance, a remembranceable. If I don't invent English, the message no go complete. So, pardon my inventions. Make it a remembranceable thing. So the servants came to Job and said, "Everything is gone." He said, "The Lord gave; the Lord has taken." Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord wrote a sentence of remembrance concerning that. He fell sick on top of all of this. And his wife came to him and said, no, my husband, this is too much. I think it is time to curse God and die. He said, why are you speaking like one of the foolish women? Don't you understand? that Are we going to receive good from the hand of God and not be willing to accept evil from him when it comes? They wrote another sentence of remembrance for that. Life. God, listen, I told you before, we were talking the other time, that salvation, it is free, but it's also expensive. Remember I said that? There are points in life, ah, Derek Prince said something, I never forgot that. Derek Prince said that he had the grandfather he loved. The grandfather who had terminal cancer, he kept alive only because he wanted to see his grandson. 
<laughs> you want to be like the Red Prince? Who was covering half of the globe on a daily basis with the gospel? Whose messages were translated into so many languages, many of them he was not even aware? They were, tra- they were broadcasting him in four different languages in China. And they gave him a Chinese name. So in there, they won't say today with the Red Prince. They'll say, I'm sorry if you are Chinese, I messed up your language there, but you get my point. <laughs> They'll say today with, you know, Lee Kuan Yew, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Just give him a Chinese name. When his book was being written, um, Stephen Mansfield went to see him in Jerusalem. And he went to a restaurant. He was just interviewing him, asking questions and all of that. And they looked across the restaurant. And a group of people began to kneel down to pray and worship God. And what, what were they worshipping over? Because they saw direct prince in the restaurant across. And before they flew down from somewhere in Europe, they had prayed that God, this one that we are going to Jerusalem. We know you are not there, but the prince is there. We want to see the prince. They didn't know where he lived. They didn't know his office. They just said they knew that the prince lives in Jerusalem. They would like to see him. So at the point that they got hungry. So they came to a restaurant, sat down to eat. And they looked across and saw the man on the other side. Stephen with Stephen Mansfield, who was inter- that was interviewing him. They said, God, you answer prayers. They got on their knees and began to worship. They came over and began to tell him how his messages had changed their lives. How they had turned them around. They had never met him. And how many people back at home, they are named Derek because of him. And this was a man who literally was planning, preparing to die. Because writing that book because he felt his days were soon going to be over. After that book was done, I think he died the following year. You think that came out of nothing? A book of remembrance had to be written. That day he stood, he said he looked, and the Holy Spirit made it clear to him, you can go back home and go and see your father, your grandfather. You can go back home, go back to your work. Or you can enter this door I have opened now and enter into destiny. He looked, even though it pained him, he did not go home. His grandfather died without seeing him. Oswald Chambers says, the cost of discipleship is not what it costs you as a person, it's what it costs the people that you love. That young man that came here the other day, you remember, he said, all his life, he has trained every year, that is for the last few years, to become a reverend father. He was going to graduate the next year. The whole family, they were expecting it. He said to me, sir, he told me to talk to you first. When he brought him to me, he said it is clear he can't do it, that God says no. How many years in seminary? Is it eight years or seven? He has spent more than eight years. He had one year to go. He said, you understand the way it is, I say I do. When I leave, I have nothing to live with. I don't know whether you get the point. It's all or none. 
there's no assistant reverend father for him. He can't even lose use the experience to find a job in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Anglicans don't want you. Yeah. Civil service, you don't have anything to give them. He said, what would I go to? I said to him straight, and I was going to teach people, and teach believers these days. This is one thing I want to teach believers, what I told him. I said straight, I don't know. I have no guarantees, no assurances to offer you. But one thing I know for sure is that if it is God you are obeying, he has a plan you don't know about. And that plan, he will not reveal it to you. That plan will not, he won't give it to you to give you confidence. Your confidence must be only in faith that you know that indeed he has a plan. So I said, I'm sorry. The answer you wanted, that's all I can give. But I'll give you advice. Go and do what the Lord has told you to do. Derek Prince, go and read his story. One day the Lord said, I have joined you and Lydia under the same yoke, under the same harness. He meditated that meant marry Lydia. Lydia was 25 years older than him. Did you hear what I said? Thank you for not saying amen. I said, God, don't tell me that kind of thing. No. <laughs> oh, talk, look, I preach a message longer called the cost of salvation. We preach a grace that means that when I wake up in the morning, I pick my teeth. And prosperity will come. Listen, before it comes, this is what God does. He tests your faith. He will put something there and say, walk away from it. I need to write a book of remembrance for you. What is wrong with you? I need to write a book of remembrance concerning your life. So you see, people, when I see, you know, sometimes Christians, like I keep on saying, please, you can make a lot of decisions, but be very careful. Don't, don't make me think very poorly of you. I'm living here. I'm going there. Why? This place, they don't have roads. The other place, they have roads. You are not a man of destiny. Who cares about roads? You're talking about roads. Paul said, what about the wife? I have the right to it. I didn't take. I was telling you about, um, what's the other man? Pilton. Pilton was discipled by the same young woman who preached the gospel to him who was 8 or 13 years older than him. She was one that preached to him. He gave life to Christ, taught him the word of God. And as he began to meditate, the Lord revealed to him that he was going to go to Africa. And going to Africa, the Lord revealed to him who will follow him. That's your Bible teacher. So he proposed to the woman and married the woman. Oh, look at this man opening his mouth. You're just finding that one out. They had a daughter before they came who also lived all her life in Nigeria. And they refused. Listen to me. There's something I say to people, don't touch that scripture. Children are the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. And it's a blessing to have a quiver full of them. True or false? And I say to brethren, stop telling me times are hard. It's the reason why you don't want to have children. You are insulting the Lord. According to David Pawson, you are casting aspersion on him. You are undermining his integrity. You are publishing to people that your father cares more about his pets than he cares about his children. That he feels the breath of the air. What's wrong with you? Why can't he feed his children? So I believe, I tell Christians, don't touch that scripture. 
And I said to them, I said, does it mean everybody must have many children? No, but why is what we're talking about? Pyelton said he had only one child because the work of was great. And being a white man, I'm not talking about 10 years ago. I'm talking about long, I think, when they arrived in Nigeria, it in the 1930s or something. He said raising white children in Nigeria at that time was impossible. No, understand for him. The time, he said, my children will have had to go to school. That I do not believe in separating families. So every time my wife would go back home, I would have had to go. He said the work was enormous. There was no time for that. So it was sacrifice on his part to let go of that privilege, of, of that right and privilege, yes. He let go of the right. He told them clearly. He was so urgent about ministry that he said, when I die, don't waste time burying. A great man of God has passed on. He said, please, if you don't want my wahala, don't try it. He wrote it clearly. You bury me like a Muslim. Now, they won't use the word Muslim now. He didn't use the word Muslim. I'm just explaining. He gave instructions that you had to be buried like a Muslim. That is immediately after. They waited only for his daughter to arrive. I think it was in Oshobuabi. Oh, Elisha, thank you. Elisha. And the daughter had to come from Elori when he died. When his first wife died, that his wife, she died after many years. The people at home sent, sent another wife to him. To go and take care of him. There's no romance in his life. All this Cinderella, I love it. nothing. If you don't marry me, I will die. Die? Ah, okay, we have work to do. I can't die for anybody. They needed somebody. If I remember that as a young man, my mother and I watched it on TV. They just married. And my mother looked at the two people. They said, This we just married. They were elderly. So my mother was worried like, ah. It was when I grew up and I realized, oh, that was what I watched on TV when I was a child. They, they appeared on uh, Redemption Hour, Archbishop uh, um, Indawasa's program. Why? They said they needed somebody to take care of him. So the new wife only came. They only did the marriage so that you see a man living with a woman. There will be excuse. You get my point? You just come there and say, ah, bros, where you get this woman, mama, mama, madam from? It will make sense now. So they went and married. So somebody will continue to take care of him because he was a warrior. He was a soldier. He was in the forefront of the battle constantly. He didn't make any decision for his own personal. Oh God. Look. <laughs> Sorry. Forgive me. Many things to say. They're just jamming my head. I needed to knock the head to help them settle. <laughs> They're just jamming. Many things to say. Because I realized that many of the prophecies that God gave to him have not been fulfilled. Why have they not been fulfilled? Because we don't have a prepared generation. And if you're a preacher, if you don't want God to punish your soul, stop preaching this stupid gospel, carnal gospel, <laughs> that only teach people how to hammer. You are the reason why those prophecies can't be fulfilled. 
Because we have, we have Christians that all they want is bread and butter. The man who started it, who God gave that word to, if you want that prophecy fulfilled in your generation, you better go and drink of his spirit. You have to drink of his spirit. You have to drink of his spirit. You have to drink of his spirit. I read that scripture. He said this, all these ones, they came together with one purpose in mind. What was the purpose? To make David king according to the word of the Lord. That is, there are things the Lord will have to, wants to do. He can't do them because there are too many responsible children. If, if power fails two times, I'm going to brought, I'm going to brought. Because they kidnapped somebody, I'm going to brought, I'm going to brought. Every little thing they're looking where to run to. People left those countries. You know, I, yesterday you know, I came late for Bible study because I went for one of our staff died. I just felt like honoring the man and our staff. I, I went. For your information, Eastern Nigeria is tropical rainforest. Dense tropical rainforest. They say the place is not far. When they tell you Anibo village is not far, don't believe them. When they measure it by a ruler, it's not far. But pass through the roads first. You, in fact, the taxi man that because they they provided the taxi. Four, five of us were in the, the driver, and four people. He whispered to the PRO after, "Say please, whether one of us can come down, that his car can't carry us again. The road was too bad." So we kept on going. We got there. I stood. Of course, we got to the church, finished the service, went to the house, the village square, went to the house where they were going to bury. And I kept on looking around. And I told one of the young doctors with me, I said, next time you see a missionary, respect. I was just looking at the bush. And this is 2020. With real houses, blocks, cement. We drove a car there. So there are some roads. And I was looking. I said, next time you see a missionary, respect. I said, people left England and came here to Africa. People left the United States and came to these places. What's the name of that man that went to Jagba? Is it Jagba? They call the place. Is it Kogi or Kwara? Lived there and died there. And you blackhead born here telling me there's no road? Are you mad? I don't understand. People born in luxury, they left it, came to your village and evangelized. And God said, what have I asked you to do? I gave you a house in the city. I gave your wife a job. All I've just asked you to do is do this small work and preach and mentor young people for me and the price of the dollar is your problem and you want to come to heaven? God punish you if you travel and it's not for mission. 
God punishes if you go anywhere. It's not because you want to fulfill destiny. If the purpose for his life is not in front of you when you want to make decisions, that's not a curse, it's a warning. I have not cursed you, I have warned you. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every mouth that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants. This is the heritage of the servants. It is of the servants of the Lord. Don't let him withdraw promises from before you because you are not following him into battle. What is wrong with us? Don't you know what salvation is? Is that you have been bought and you have been enlisted in his army. You are an assignment for him. Let me just warn you. You won't live forever. You didn't know that. It's better to die at the age of 33. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Than to live to be 110. And God says, what were you doing there, Seth? I believe in long life. I believe in it. But like I said, there's many-sided wisdom, right? Oswald Chambers died at the age of 43. 43. 43. He wrote only one book, maybe two, but titled Christian Disciplines. I think he did both volume one and volume two. The only one I can't read. But he wrote so many. The other day when I saw the PDF format of it, you can look for it online. You'll find it. It's given by uh, this Bible. They would have print daily bread. They put it out there for free download. When I shared it with my brethren, I said, one th- listen to me. I said 1,600 pages of heaven. Those, bo- those books were written. They compiled it into one. In fact, I have the paper copy. I don't know whether it's here or it's at home. They were written from the notes taken by his wife. Oswald Chambers died, I think, 19... Around the First World War, anyway. I forgot the year he died. 19... He was 43. Over a hundred years later, we are still discussing him. Lord, if you called me to preach and you called me, to, you put words like that on my mouth, I would rather live to be 43. And a hundred years later, if Jesus has not returned, people all over the world are still discovering the face of Jesus from my writings than to live to be 120 in my palaces, driving the best cars, flying all over the useless world, and then die. And after two years, even my children can hardly remember who I was. <laughs> Let me tell you about salvation. If you don't want to lose it, those who are lying to you that you can never lose it, they are lying to you. If you don't want to lose it, go and learn about redemption, which means you have been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to somebody who paid the price for your life. His life was so infinitely more valuable than yours. 
But he gladly exchanged it because he saw the potential that he can bring out of you. And you will be behaving like a madman if you will walk deliberately to frustrate that plan of his. He owns you. The first thing you can do just to yield yourself and say, Lord, use me. Not a favor you are doing him, actually. Just that you are waking up. It's not a favor you are doing. You are just doing what? You are waking up. Go and pray to God. That brother that said I should marry him. Do you want me to marry him? He's not, is he going to be a good husband? You know, <laughs> I need somebody who can take care of me. One of the most idiotic statements from, from the mouth of a child of God. I'd like to tell the story of my friend, Pastor Courage. To encourage people. When he came home to marry his wife, he was just a pioneer pastor in Sokoto. I don't think they had up to 20 members in the church that time. I'm not sure. Maybe they were more than that. I don't know. But the church was small. When his wife agreed to marry him, his, her father asked, what, please, I don't understand. What is the attraction? It's not as if other people were not working on the project. So now this is the man where I want to marry. At that time. The father said, what's the attraction? She said, this is one man who can say to me, close your eyes. I want to take you somewhere. He said, I can give him my hand, confident that he knows where he's going. You see, stupid girls, their father was poor, mother poor, grandfather poor. They can't marry a man because he's working for civil service. When I see these poverty-reading girls doing shakara, I say, if, not, if I be God, I remove your ovaries first. Then I put scar on your face. And I let you go. Without ovaries, you age overnight. Oh, yes. Ah, apostle, if I remove your own ovaries, like tomorrow you're looking like an old man. <laughs> you know, you, you, you can't understand them. You know what I found out about this, this life? Some of the most chakarized of women, their father has nothing. They want to marry Dangote's son. Covetousness. Only. Unyoshi. And if you are a guy, don't let any woman do chakarao. Unless you don't have purpose for your life too. I used to tell my wife that, listen, when planes want to fly, they first remain on ground. When they have taken off, they don't take passenger. So enter while we are still on the ground. It's true. So you to kneel down and pray, say, God. Is this the, go and listen to my series and the message, How to Find True Love. You ask God, this is the man you created me. To walk with. He said, draw me unto me, let us walk together. Can we walk together? It's not whether it's rich or poor. Please, young women, wherever you are listening to this from, stop that nonsense. Stop that nonsense. 
If you want to be rich in life, you don't find it in a husband, you find it on your knees. I was teaching my son today. We're just, I'm just telling him things that old men have found out. It's a small boy where I am, you know, so I'm an old man. Some of you know, don't really how old I am. Just look at my beard. And believe God. Amen. <laughs> I told him, listen, the money is not in looking for it. Just find what you're supposed to be doing and be doing it. That's all. That's, that's, if you want money, ask God for it. Let's pray. Let's bow down our heads. Let's give the Lord thanks for the word that we've received today. Just thank him and say, Lord, we thank you. That's the first thing we're doing before we go to the next uh, prayer we'll be praying. Just say, Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard, but it's needed. Thank you. I'd like you to begin to pray for yourself. Say, Lord, I receive grace to do my duties as a servant. I receive grace to serve. I take my eyes off the privileges. I just want to serve. I receive grace to serve. Can you pray that prayer from the depth of your heart? That in the space that the Lord has provided for you, irrespective of where you are now, that from today the Lord begin to open your eyes and you begin to see the things that, are, that, that, that need to be done, the things that you need to do, the problems that you need to solve.